Sarah and you're with Velo Dulce, the show where we talk women, cycling and life. Velo Dulce is from the Italian phrase La Vida Dolce, which means the good life. These are stories from women around the world on finding the good life through life on a bicycle. My guest today is Shifra Burke. Shifra was born to Yiddish parents, am I correct? Yes. Yiddish parents, immigrants from Poland to America. She grew up in Massachusetts, deeply affected and inspired by her parents' immigration and Holocaust experiences and their informidable tenacity. She has a passion for storytelling and for life too, as you will see in this interview. In preparation for this interview, I actually watched her talk on World Channel about how she came into her name. And I'm actually going to share the link in the podcast notes, so please watch it. I ended up in tears. I have no doubt you will too. As with the woman on my shows, she is one powerhouse of a woman. She has produced a number of documentaries and books. She is incredibly acclaimed. She produced Browsing Through Books, a documentary she co-produced about growing up in her family's quirky retail clothing store. Today, she is an executive leadership coach and... I will share some of her accolades. I'm sure you will be blown away as I am, but that's not why I'm interviewing her today. Today, we are talking on Velo Dulce about in tandem pedaling through midlife on a bicycle built for two. Welcome, Shifra. Thank you so much. That was quite a quite an intro. Very humbling, Lisa. It's really humbling for me to get to spend some time with you. So thank you. So my pleasure. You've done a wide array of work. I feel like I could spend two days with you and not access all your wisdom. So I do want to jump straight into the book in tandem. Why, where, give us the short synopsis. So let's think of the short synopsis. My 60th birthday was rolling around. My 73rd is rolling around soon. So it was probably actually about this time of year. Jay, my husband, had restarted riding a bicycle. I'd not ridden since I was in high school. And I think my last ride was with a friend to get an ice cream. It's the last one I remember anyway. And I had this idea that maybe we should get a tandem bicycle. And part of that was looking for a shared activity that would be physical and would offer me some challenge, both physically and in all kinds of other ways, because the idea of being on the back of this bicycle built for two was a little daunting at the same time that it was intriguing. We had rented one time for what ended up being a half hour ride on the first, in the first year Jay and I met when I was 49. So that tells you something already about we met when I was 49. So we'll get back to that. 
So he just said, okay, let's, let's explore. And so we bought this tandem. That's basically the story. And at age 60, I started riding as a stoker on the back of this tandem. The book, in answer to your question, though, the book. So in our early rides, in my mind, I was thinking, wow, there are so many metaphors for relationships. Jay and I are both relationship people, both professionally and personally. He even more than I in the role reversal that sometimes people are surprised about. He's the one that really likes to talk about relationship stuff even more than I do. So I kept having these, stop me whenever you want to ask a question. Carry on, carry on. Okay. I kept thinking about all these metaphors. So I can't remember the first one, but basically each time I thought of one and I'll share some in a second, I would be like, Jay, this would be, this is such a good metaphor for relationships and life. We should write a book. So if Jay were here, he would be telling you, and I'm pretty sure this is in the book, that my saying we should write a book was not that I wanted to write a book because I really don't love to write. I love to edit. I love to collaborate, but I like the initial getting all the words down and massaging them. Yeah, 26 different times to get the... So he took it on and wrote this book. I could go on and talk about it. It's really our book, and I can tell you why it's our book. It's our bike. He's It's my bike, actually, and he always tells people that. The tandem is Schiffer's. She wanted it. She is the one who pushes. She's, so there's a lot of story about the passive woman on the back of the tandem isn't right. accurate for us. So that I find completely amazing that you would want to start cycling. I don't want to say at that age because I don't want to sound condescending because my mother is 65 and one of the most dynamic women I know. I almost feel like, I don't know what it is, but like the older people like you, people like my mom get, the more dynamic and the more energetic and the more what triggered the bicycle. It's a good question. I think every time I realized Jay was taking off on a ride on his single bike and given who he is around increasing strength and endurance and he loves the numbers. He wants to know how many watts he's pushing and how many miles he's going and how fast he's doing. And that's not, that's it's very true for him. That wasn't true all his life though. He wasn't an athlete really until he's like a senior athlete, no question, but he was not an athlete until he was a senior athlete, which is sick. So each time he would come back and he'd have, I don't remember if it was his Garmin initially or what he had, he would be reporting all these things. And there's a part of me, I've always been active. I've always been what some people might think of as definitely athletic. I don't know that I was an athlete, but I played racquetball and I I just do things. I'm physical. And so some part of me was thinking, is there something that I could be doing that pushes me in a way that I'm getting more fit and I'm getting my aerobic capacity increased and I'm increasing longevity? And then he 
would read all these books about hits and dementia. So I was very invested in figuring out how to keep my telomeres longer as long right. as I could. So that I think all of that added up to plus the joint activity and the shared goals in a clearer way, as well as the potential joy, right? Yeah, it could absolutely. also be like really fun. So how, and I, please listeners, forgive me because I have not yet read the book. I will. But how did it work? It does sound like you are quite different personalities, like on one bicycle. And I am going to publicly apologize to my ex-husband right here and now because (laughs) we once did a cycling and adventure race together and it was an absolute disaster. I'm really sorry to him, (laughs) but we just didn't have the same alignment. So, So how did it work on the bike for you guys? So I think what people may not really understand, and maybe this was true for you and your ex-husband, is it's really a good idea to prep before getting on a tandem bike. To really know that either person can really make or break that flow and can spike. I don't know how much neuroscience you or your listeners or viewers know. Our cognition is, and our new brain is tiny compared to our emotional brain, right? That primitive limbic system. So one little move on the bike spikes the limbic system. And it's not usually your move, it's the other person's move. So some person leans and doesn't tell you, reaches into their back pocket for a snack or reaches down for the water bottle or turns around to look at some bird, whatever it is. The communication that's usually required gets uh, tripled, quadrupled in necessity if you're gonna do a good job on the bike. Similarly, Jay sees what I can't see. He's in the front of the bike. I can't see the the stick in the road, the squirrel that's running past, the pothole, the gravel, the whatever's in the traffic, the cars, the predators, we call them predators, that are in front of us. So the decision I might make blindly from the back needs to really be informed by the trust that he's going to be taking good care of both of us And that I may have to shut up about a particular need I have. Now, that was a learning process, Lisa, I will tell you. (laughs) In the book, we share like one of the early examples of where we had this big tussle and tangle because I didn't know he was seeing traffic. I'm just a little bit of a spoiler, but not that much. He sees traffic and danger in front of us. All I know is we're on a group ride and we've missed a turn. And I get panicky about being lost. Jay's got a good compass in his head. I don't. So I, he tells me pedal. And all I keep saying is, we missed the turn. We missed the turn. He gets more insistent. I get more resistant because he's pushy. And he ends up hopping off the bike and handing me the bike and walking across the street. Mm-hmm. So when we figured all that out in the sort of, 
the military calls these after action reviews where you're supposed to be doing this non-judgmentally and non-emotionally. You're just figuring out what went right to repeat next time, what went wrong to change next time. So we've tried to do those. In our after action review, I concluded for myself, I don't know that I admitted this to him, that I needed to pay attention to safety in that way that I wouldn't even know about safety. But if I was going to be on the back of this bike and be safe, a good stoker, a good partner, I might have to suck it up when I had a difference of opinion and sort it out later. And that's really served us well on the bike. It's actually been really good practice off the bike as well. I was going to say, that sounds like great training. And that sounds like two things right there that came up is one is about trust. And I often think this, even at work, what if I trusted my colleagues or friendships or in a partnership, even though I can't technically see what they see? And the other thing you're talking about is sucking up your ego or just like not having to be right, which is hard at times or not trying to put your point across. Yeah. Not having to be first, not having to be heard, not having to be right. It's very hard. And I really like what you said in the first part of trusting that like your friends, your partner, your coworkers, because you can't see what they see in a an emotional, an intellectual, visual kind of way, right? So how do we suspend our knowing and our overconfidence that we're right? And there's a whole bunch of brain bias neuroscience about that too, that it's built into us to believe we're right. So yeah, I just think that before you get back to your original point that before you, someone gets on a tandem, it'll be really good to, to look at a primer. And interestingly, I don't know that we thought of that as one of the kind of three top things people would say about in tandem our book. It has been recommended by people who are tandem curious to have them read it first because they will get moment by moment sense of the things that you can do that will mitigate all of that we're not in sync. There's one other thing to say, and that's that there are two kinds of tandems. Almost all tandems are synced. So the person in front and the person in back need to be doing the same thing. Their legs need to be moving exactly the same time. We ended up really by accident with the Da Vinci, which is a brand of bike that's built in Denver, Colorado, and it has independent coasting. So Jay and I do not have to do the kind of coordinating that people on synced bikes do where you feel as a front or back person, if one person goes hard, the other person may feel like their knee or hip is being like dislocated practically. We don't have that. Okay. Okay. Cool. I have a ton of questions I want to ask. Tell me about, and I want to come back to the book just now, but tell me about your best and most difficult ride that you guys had together. 
The greatest and most difficult. Huh, that's a great question. And um, it, it may, <laughs> may not be the same or it may be different instances. Yeah, I'll tell you the first one that came to mind is interesting. After this conversation with you, I'm going to ask Jay this question. I love this question. Uh, so we were on what might have been our first tandem rally ride. So are you familiar with the tandem rallies for any reason? No, I was, I'm okay. not. Okay, so it turns out all over the U.S., maybe all over the world, I don't know, there are these events that happen. They're usually a weekend, and anywhere from 100 to 300 tandem teams show up, and they stay in whatever place, and then they do rides all weekend long. We were in Vermont. Vermont is really hilly really hilly and we had we're not in the kind of shape that we were later <laughs> so the elevation was daunting but interesting or and interesting I don't want to say but because it's both and we put our roots into our garments and we were all set for the I believe the shorter ride that still was <laughs> just still pretty pitchy for us so we get on the ride and you start together and then people veer off at various points, just like a, a single bike ride where you, people do different, different lengths of ride. So we're feeling pretty good. We're hanging with the group. Our legs aren't burning to the point where we think we <laughs> need to stop or anything. And then we discover at some point, many miles in, that we're not on the route we think we're on. And we're on the longer, not the longest, but the longer route. One pedal stroke after the next, which I was grateful I learned somewhere along the line, along with Jan's voice, shut up legs. I was just like, okay, this is just your brain telling you that it needs to quit. You don't really need to quit. Don't listen to those legs. Don't listen to the attitude that's starting to creep up. Don't listen to the fear that you're going to get lost because Jay's got a good compass. So I think it was just because we were so psyched about being able to do this, psyched about being able to work together to not have one or the other of us attitudinally create a mess. And it was our best altitude and longest crunchy kind of ride. So that's yeah. the one that comes to, to mind for me. That's amazing. I feel like the bicycle is absolutely a metaphor for life. And often you will find yourself in a rough place. And I remember a friend of mine and I, my my best friend, we used to cycle races together. And whenever we were going through a really rough time, we used to play this game called It Could Be Worse. And we would see, we would imagine scenarios which could be worse, which made us happy to be in the situation that we were in. So we used to go, okay, it could be worse. We could be running a marathon now. And neither of us could have at that time possibly imagined running a marathon. Or it could be worse. We could just be at the beginning right now. Instead, we're like 50 kilometers in. Or it could be worse. We could be by ourselves and not have each other. So 
it's a great, I loved what you're saying about that was just such a great day because the scenario wasn't what you expected, uh, which is basically the whole of life story. <laughs> and there you found yourself like coming up trumps. That's so cool. Yeah. So it w- it was cool. And I love your story. The, it could be worse. The way that we can really shift our attitude if we give it some if we give it some effort right because it's yeah. so easy to slide into whatever the mess mentally the mental mess it's easy it's that's part it seems to go downhill like a river or something just carved out for us and just with a little nudge sometimes the reminder so there's a way in which you created all that gratitude right for your brain to focus on away from the oh my god oh my god oh my god oh shit yeah absolutely yeah you can say it like it is um, yeah. same as you and I've also had some really bad rides I don't know if your worst ride was when Jay got off the bike and left you with the bike was that your worst ride it depends what worst means we've we had a chunky we had an accident so in some ways that was the worst ride because I was very nervous about Jay for a period of time. That was probably our worst in terms of just that like scary emotional. There've probably been <laughs> there have been a few worst rides. I want to talk about coming back from that because like I've noticed in myself as I've got a bit older the mental effort it takes to come back can sometimes be more than when I was younger. When I was younger, I cycled around Vietnam and Laos on my own and I did a ton of stuff, which I would, I didn't think twice about. And now I'm like, are you crazy? So I found the thought patterns change. So like, how did you come back after the accident? Or how did you both come back together after that? That is a really important question. I don't think I would have gotten back on the bike if it weren't for Jay. I think that was my, I had a single bike accident and was concussed some years prior. Not that many years prior though. And he just really wanted to ride and he got back on his own bike. The single stayed there for a while. I ended up getting some psychotherapy. And I was trained, my first career was as a psychotherapist. And someone asked me, it was actually an attorney, we we needed to hire an attorney because the medical, the person, our insurance wasn't covering the amount of medical. So we got an attorney, and she said, are you getting any therapy? And I just was like, oh, I don't know, machete, macho machete or something. No, I'm good. I'm working it out. But I ended up getting some psychotherapy, which actually was shockingly helpful. I don't want to, there's a lot to say here, but this is where reading the book will actually be, it would be too much of a spoiler to tell no, something. That's but, in terms of, but in terms of, because what was on earth was surprising to me. It wasn't really just Jay on the ground. Sure. It was something. Sure. So it's what was underneath that that ended up being the relevant piece. And once I worked that out, I wasn't comfortable, but I was comfortable enough. 
And I wanted to get back on. And now that's been several years and we're back on. But I will tell you that I do think age and COVID combo is making it more challenging to figure out even non-bike things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do I go to Uganda this summer with my family or not? Can I get medevaced out? quickly enough if something were to nosedive quickly. I would have gone five or 10 years ago. So, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I think that is a great advert right there to say, whoever is listening, you need to get this book. I will share the link with you. Just hold on one second. Yeah. I'm just going to pause the recording there because it is telling me that in 10 minutes I will be thrown out the meeting because I didn't pay. I'm not on Zoom premium. So if it cuts out, we will just join back on the same link. Okay. I will edit out this piece. Okay. Cool. So now is the book... And I don't want you to give too much away because I do really, I really think this is a value read. Is the book about the bike or is the book about relationships or is it both? It's definitely both. Uh, so some people who've read it, when we've done readings, it's it's comical. There, there are engineer types who say, I don't know where Jay was going with all this relationship stuff, but I really liked all the mechanicals and I liked learning about the bike. And and then for a fact, they are engineers who listen to the show. (laughs) They may be very interested in the tandem and in the Da Vinci, those differences and Jay deep diving into these little details. And then there are relationship people who are like, I skimmed over all that kind of bike stuff. And then there are people who were surprised at, in both sides, the engineers who were like, I read some of that relationship stuff. It was interesting. And my wife and I had all these conversations that we don't usually have, or my partner and I. And then the people, I'm over-stereotyping here. I realize as I'm doing it. But but the people who were interested in relationships were like, I learned a lot about cycling and a lot about tandems that I never would have, I never ever would have read. So it is this intermingling of the metaphor. So often a chapter might start with some deep bike dive and, and thread itself into how that corresponds to the relationship, right? So whether it's hills or brakes or changing gears, yeah. So in your opinion, and you may or may not reference the book, and I will totally confess that relationships have been, I think that Everyone has a struggle in their life. Some people struggle with finances. Some people struggle with health. And I think no matter who you are in the world, if you are human, you get your thing. And my thing has been relationships. And so for for myself and those who are listening, what is your top three of absolute essential advice for relationship or for going on a tandem bicycle? 
Okay, so before I answer your top three, bring me back if I veer too far off this road. Jay and I are the reason people should feel really hopeful because by 49, me, 51, him, we had five marriages. Well, that makes me, no offense, but that does make me feel better because I'm 44. (laughs) So either people are going to shut this off right now and say clear failures, or they're going to say, okay, there's hope for me. So two people with master's degrees in counseling psych meet at 49 and 51. Jay had been divorced three times. In fairness, two of them were before he was 25. But um, nonetheless, I feel like before 25, it doesn't count. That's what he says. And I had one divorce, one death in my history when we met. So five marriages, two two master's degrees, five marriages. So we had street creds for investment in building a good relationship. So there's plenty of hope, Lisa. And sometimes I think when you're in multiple relationships, there's there's one significant benefit, and that's that you get feedback that's easy to reject the first time. Because it's about them, of course, not about you. (laughs) Right? And then you hear it again and you're like, I don't know. I heard this before. Maybe I'm picking the same type of person who is critical about this. By the time you've been in some number of relationships, those don't have to be marriages. If you're a thoughtful person, you start to think, hmm, I think I have some stuff to work on here. And some of that might be around my own, what can I change in me, like behaviorally. And some of that behavior is around judgment, expectation of the other person, right? So Things that would have been problematic for me and were problematic in previous relationships, trying to change the person to be more of what I thought made sense for a human to be, and certainly a human to be with me. I'm not saying I never have that urge. I also have its shut up legs. I guess I never Uh, thought of that before this moment. It's like knowing that's not uh, an accurate and good cue to follow up. Right. It's my brain doing an old habit, and I now have more control over what I do with this. So juxtapose that moment of Jay should, or I wish Jay would, and this other voice comes in that says, there it is. (laughs) And I can start to know that this usually the same thing that's problematic for me in situation A is really vitally helpful in the overview of our relationship. So Jay's more careful in many ways than I am. Do I want the captain of my bike to be more careful? Yeah, your nod is, of course I do. Does that mean that sometimes we're in a situation off the bike in which I'm spontaneous and he's not, and it slows me down? because he's uncomfortable maybe, and I respond to that, even though he would tell me, and he would tell you, he would not want me stopping, but I'm caught because I want approval and I want him to like me every minute and whatever. So there are moments in which I change my behavior and it's annoying because I want him to just be a free spirit. Not a good thing for a free spirit 
on the front of that bike or driving a car if he's driving and I'm passenger. So there are so many of those. Where if I could take that minute and think, okay, where does this same behavior buy me something huge in the scope of our relationship? Almost always the things that bug me buy me a lot. That is a great perspective. That is really great perspective. Yeah. yeah. How does that translate for you? Yeah, no, that's 100%. Because I think when something bugs you, you tend to look at how it bugs you in every circumstance instead of, wait a second, this is actually what I like about this person in either the grand sense of the word or in a very critical area of the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that whole business of changing someone, wanting them to be like you, can be shifted to embracing the differences mm. if if you're doing that particular work. Absolutely. I feel like that's sage advice for life in general. Embrace the differences. Embrace the differences, right. And know that it's not easy when it's a journey and you keep making progress and falling back. But if you know that's a goal, it's really helpful. And it's really helpful to be out loud in your relationship about that kind of thing. So I might say to Jay something like, um, you know, I'm struggling right now because this is one of those times I want this and it looks like you want that. It's figuring out what to do with blame, right? Because we know that blame tends to be like a boomerang. Right. So it's tempting to do it. You throw it out and then you spike the other person's system. And then it just can take you down a road that and doesn't work productively for the relationship in yeah. the moment. And then sometimes long term, because you can say things that you don't mean. And so how do you get more used to making statements about yourself? I'm feeling rattled. I'm feeling afraid. There's a kind of vulnerability that we tend to avoid. And so I would say, along with that blame piece, finding a way to be more vulnerable is being more honest. And it's scary because you do need to trust that the person's going to be gentle or uh. respond. And if they're not, it's easy to get extra pissed off. But then having the chance to unpack that later. I think that the other is the opposite end of the spectrum, Lisa. And that's that I think we are really more likely to acknowledge or praise people outside of our primary relationship. And when we're in love and we're infatuated, we're really good at all of that stuff. It just we exude positivity for the other person and as we get they get more familiar to us we just turn the volume down on it was really I really enjoyed this or what a pretty smile you have or your eyes are sparkling and it's making me happy or it is and I think we we lose the opportunity to keep that relationship the person in our relationship feeling cared about it seen, loved, and it feels good. The giver gets something too. Just like if it's a nonprofit, right? The, the, the volunteer gets as much as the person who is getting. And I think in relationships, 
we just don't practice that very well. I'm including myself in that, that need to remind myself to do that more often. I love that point that you're saying, like bringing it back to focus on, it's not just focusing on the positive because I don't really love that terminology, but it's really appreciating that other person. Yes, that's right. Because the positivity or those what people suggest, the commu- some communication people with that sandwich business, you know, say something positive, then say something negative, say something positive, is actually not very effective, by the way, from what I've read with the research. I do think we need to be straightforward. Maybe a straight, if we could be straightforward, which is what I think about the acknowledgement versus the praise. The praise is more, oh, you're so awesome. And it doesn't give the person much feedback. And this would be true at work, our bike partners, relationship partners, children, parents. If we can be specific, it's really helpful to me, Lisa, that you clearly prepare for these interviews. And I appreciate the questions that you've taken the time to get ready to make this a good call. That would be an acknowledgement, right? And I mean it, by the way. So thank thank you. Thank you for that. And that may be, I don't know, you tell me if that's better than, oh, Lisa, this was really, this has been awesome so far. Absolutely. It's very specific and it's directed and it's helpful and it's, there is effort that has gone in from the other person. And I think we notice as humans when someone else puts in effort. Yeah, I think that's I think that's interesting. I hadn't thought of the bike metaphor, but there it is. Whether it's on the bike or off the bike, if you're on in riding a tandem, you notice when somebody's putting in effort. Absolutely. You can really feel Absolutely. it. <laughs> and when they're not. Um, there are times Jay will say to me, are you back there? <laughs> Which is, I need you to pedal harder right now. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that's usually during that time, I realize I have lightened up my intensity for whatever reason. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, now I want to come to, and I really think there's so much to cover in this book and we're never going to cover cover it in one day. But I want to talk about the preconceived ideas about aging and everything that encompasses because you seem to, and not that I think 60 is old, 60 is the new 40. So you seem to have gone beyond that in every area, like relationships, physical activity, your career. Was that inbred in you like where did that come from that is I don't know I am I don't know if restless is the right word but I have an emotional intellectual kind of curiosity maybe maybe that's really a lot and I have a lot of energy to give to physical things but I have a lot of energy to give to making the world a little bit better place while I'm here. And I think that's my, I don't know, raison d'etre, I guess. And I've tried hard to think 
to remember that age is relevant, but it doesn't have to be limiting for me. I'm not saying it's not limiting at all, because it is. I'm a, I've, At 60, I was riding stronger than I am now. And I suspect at 80, I'll be riding differently from today. And who knows, maybe I'll be on a recumbent or something. But then one um, of my friends here in Spain, sorry to introduce you, is 84 and rides like a machine. And so that may be me. That would be awesome. So... You're, I'm trying to pull back your actual question. Like, how do I, is it like, how do I talk to myself or what has made me be able to do all these things? Or yeah, Because I think as you age, I'm not sure because I haven't done the research, to be honest, but you have more thoughts of I can't or I don't feel good or people simply adopt society's self-imposing limitations. And so they don't even try stuff anymore. Yes. So I think you've nailed it. I think I've never been good at believing that I couldn't do something. And I think that really comes from my dad, who didn't do any of these things. But my dad, from watching the, the my name story, that he was a Holocaust survivor. And he really set an example for open doors that are closed to you just, and they were innumerable ones that were closed to him from the factory owners who didn't have enough clothing to sell to their regular customers after the war. And my father sat in bathrooms at factories and grabbed an owner and said, you're going to sell to me. I survived Hitler. And so waited for the guy to have to go to the bathroom in a just story after story of living with that. And when we said to my dad growing up, so I can't do X. And he said, that became like, why don't you try? So I think mm. doing things the conventional way wasn't his way. It was my mom's way, but it wasn't his way. And even though there were many difficult things about my dad, he was verbally abusive. He was, in retrospect, I'm sure he had so much PTSD and all kinds of other things. But some of the best things in my life, same as what we're talking about, right, earlier, some of the best things, my favorite things about me come from him. His humor, his willingness to beg for forgiveness and almost never ask for permission. So I think it serves me well aging. Absolutely. And I really, I guess I'm similar to you when I have experiences. I always get them in my head in terms of a book or an article or something to put together. And I was thinking yesterday, I am going to put a fit and fabulous at 50 course together at some point. But like, this is, yeah, I love that. And I love that. I love that story about how it came from your dad. And again, to the listeners, I am going to put those links in there because honestly, it's life-changing. Go and listen to those stories. I absolutely want to thank you, Shifra, for being on today's show. I want to ask you one final question, which is okay. where to from here? On the bike and off. Good question. We are just rec in the immediate. We're just recovering from Jay's COVID and pneumonia that he got on our drive here. So uh -huh. we're back to building, but we I'm grateful that we did our sturdiest ride yesterday, which was not very sturdy compared to one month, two months ago. December 31st, we left Massachusetts and yesterday was our sturdiest ride. So for three weeks, four weeks almost, we were off the bike. 
and just trying to be sure that things were good. And then from here, I now will pick up the book promotion that I expected to do when we got to Tucson, Arizona, which we come, we've come the last few winters so we could ride. So we're in the Southwest wow. and here with our new puppy. I think this was, this is actually a lovely launch for this getting the word out on the book. And I'm excited for people to read it partly for the reasons we've talked about. And partly it's really just an interestingly crafted story. And I credit Jay for that. Both of our names are on the book, but you, the readers will learn. I massaged every word, every page, and I'm all over the book. I did not do the fundamental writing in this book. Although again, I don't know if there's any fundamental writing left because of our tandem work doing the book, which is also another story. That is amazing. Listen, I want to thank both of you. It has been amazing talking to you. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. I hope you have been as inspired as I have on today's episode of Velo Dulce. Please share with a friend, rate on iTunes, and most importantly, get on your bicycle, grab a friend, drink some coffee, and here is to living Velo Dulce. Just, 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 just